dangerous large uh, carnivore out there. Yeah, I saw that bird pick a young deer off the road and fly away. And uh, it was just about getting dark and we started panicking, running down the bridge, not really having any clue of storing rocks in our vicinity. Good size rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a 357 out of my backpack and look back, and that's when I thought I saw one. So I really was trying to skip that a little bit, uh, though I am 
out in some rural area where my, my, my folks live. And uh, so I'd like to do some hiking out here. And I've, I've done that, uh, some hiking. Um, there's a lot of um, Indian artifacts to be found, and I love going out looking for them. So it's one of my pastimes, and, that, and that's what I've been up to. Cool. And I saw some pictures that you uh, were doing the theme park thing down there with the family. So that's yeah. cool. It's like you're having a relax, relaxing a little bit. Relaxing. Enjoyed the theme parks down here. Um, got a little bit of ice on my eye. I was out hiking and uh, wasn't really paying attention, and there happened to be a big rock face, and I smacked my head right on it and managed to uh, give myself a gash and a black eye, but uh, I've had worse. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> Come back with a little bit of a, a war wound and a story to tell. That'll be fun. Uh, yeah, a little Southern California love. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm ready to to bring our guests on. Like you said, we've got yeah. uh, Thomas Markham, who's who's the founder of uh, the Crypto Crew, and uh, Doreen Alters Fisher, who is a member. So yeah, um, let's. Uh, Without further ado, let's bring those folks on. All right. Here we go. Thomas and Doreen, are you there? Yes, I am. Hello. Hey, welcome to Monster X. How are you guys today? Thank you. So, Thomas, tell us a little bit about, uh, we'll get started with uh, a little bit of background of the crypto crew. What? What is the Crypto Crew for those that are uninitiated? Well, we're just a group of guys and girls that uh, we study and research Bigfoot and uh, everything from UFOs to aliens to ghosts. We just have a, a broad spectrum of things we like to look into, but our our main thing is Bigfoot. That's our favorite. And what... When did, how long has the crypto crew been uh, around? I founded the group in 2011, but I'd been researching on my own when time permitted for many years before that. What got you into the subject? Well, that's a real good question. Uh, I can't point to any one event. You know, like some people may have a sighting in that that sort of turns them on to Bigfoot. But even uh, when I was a young child, uh, you know, probably 8, 10, 12-year-old, uh, I'd seen some UFOs and uh, some other odd things, and I kind of had an interest from a young age. And uh, then when I was about 15 or so, I had an experience while hunting that at the time I didn't know was was Bigfoot, but I found out years later that was, you know, most likely what it was. And so it just kind of grew over time. What was that experience? Uh, well, as me, me and my father was hunting, uh, our dogs became frightened and terrified. They came back to us scared, and uh, something was pacing us along a high wall, you know, where they come and strip the coal and it leaves a high bench. That, that something was pacing us and following us. And we would shine lights in there and you couldn't see it. And you could hear it, but you couldn't see it. And uh, most likely that was probably my a Bigfoot. That was my first experience with, with a Bigfoot. Cool. 
And Doreen, what what about you? What got you interested in the topic? Well, a lot of different things, just like with Tom, but I think it was probably all my mother's fault. She started me watching In Search Of when I was pretty young. She was kind of hooked on that show, and I used to sit and watch that with her, and I think that's probably how it all got started. But over the years, I have had, I'm a hiker, and I have had experiences, things have happened to me that I can't necessarily explain. And knowing what I know now about things, I think I probably had Bigfoot experiences several different times. And the first time would have been in Canada. I was visiting friends up in western Ontario. They had a cabin, a pretty remote cabin, on Lake of the Woods. And I went outside after dark, which thinking about that now wasn't the wisest thing. But anyway, I needed to get something out of my truck. And I went outside. It was very quiet outside. I couldn't hear hardly anything. And as I was closing the door of the truck, I paused for a minute and I heard a whooping sound that was very odd to me. It sounded like a primate. And I remember thinking at the time, no other no other animal makes that sound except some kind of an ape. And I went inside and told my friends I just heard Bigfoot out in the woods. And, of course, they laughed and everybody thought it was really funny. And it kind of bothered me for the rest of that trip. Not really bothered me, I guess. It's just I was really wondering what I'd heard. And I guess it all came from there. So, so, so now we're fast. Go ahead, Shane. Oh yeah, I was gonna say with the crypto crew, Thomas. How you know you, you had this idea and you, you formulated it and created the crypto crew. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you went about? I mean, how did Durang get involved and some of the other people involved with crypto crew? How did they come into the picture? Well, uh, once I started actually started the group and started making posts, uh, there was other people who was interested, who was not actually in a group, but who who was actually doing, you know, research on their own. And they just kind of contacted me. And if I ain't mistaken, uh, Doreen was about the uh, sixth person to actually join the group. So, Yeah, I had contacted him and told him that I was a writer and I was interested in the subject and I wouldn't mind doing some writing for his website if he was open to that. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he was, and... That's where it all started. So, with me. And Many I, years later, we're still working together. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> you guys must have clicked on some level, obviously. Yes, exactly. We don't agree on everything, but we do click pretty well. We we get along. We talk almost daily. So. I mean, with 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 the crypto crew. Uh, I mean, what is what are some of the goals for the? Crypto Crew, and, and what have you guys you feel you've accomplished? I mean, what's the overall idea for Crypto Crew? Was it, is it just to um, share and counter stories? Is it kind of like an active research um, partnership group? Well, I can't speak for everyone that's in the group, but for for my personal side of it, uh, I, I want to know more about these, about mm-hmm. Bigfoot, about, about the creature Bigfoot. Uh and I'm sure a lot of us in our group have the same goal. We, we're inter- we're not interested in trying to prove it to the world or to 
the scientist or people like that. We want to know for a personal standpoint more about them and share it with like-minded people. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, we all have our personal missions, I think, but we have a common mission. So, um, and, and my, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say a common mission, but you guys don't necessarily all agree at any given moment. You guys all have your own ideas or maybe possibly beliefs or experiences, correct? Right, and I think that that is probably a good thing in a sense. We have a tendency to keep each other sharp in that respect. You know, um, we get inside our own heads a lot of times, and it helps us to have each other to shoot ideas off of and to remind each other that, you know, we're being kind of narrow-minded about things. So I think that helps Mm. in a lot of respects. And that's, that's really interesting because, you know, Thomas had mentioned, you know, that, you know, as far as him personally, he's not out to prove this to science or anybody in general. He's really interested in the right. subject matter, the subject. Um, how important, uh, and I, Doreen, I've talked to you about this, and I really enjoyed your comments, but how important is is it, um, do, you, do you guys believe um, that science is involved in this subject? Uh, should they take it seriously? Uh, and why are they not? I mean, how important is it that we get science involved or, you know, for those researchers out there, or those enthusiasts that really want science involved or, or academia, how important is it? Is it important, or um, you know, where is science with this? Well, we think they need to be more involved, um, and they are slowly becoming involved, but we think it's a little too slow. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of reasons I think people blame different factions for why that is, but... I don't know that there's any one explanation for it. I don't know. What do you think, Tom? Well, I think scientists in general uh, don't take the subject seriously because the water has been so muddy for so many years. Uh, you've got people yeah. pulling hoaxes and pranks, and, and it really lessens the value of true research and true findings because it makes everybody look at look at it like, well, there's nothing to it. So and so hoped mm-hmm. this or this fake, and so they don't take it serious. It may take years. All they see is the fake they may stuff. Never take it. That, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, all that stands out is the hoaxes and the fake stuff. So it's yeah. really our job to keep on top of everything and keep it in the forefront. Right. You know, the, the a lot of the the most subtle things involved with research pass under the radar, don't get uh, noticed. It's those things that are um, extreme, and usually it's a hoax involved or something of that nature, usually, right. that, mm-hmm. that gets the most publicity. And then, of course, science looks at that, yeah. and that's what they, they go, oh, here we go. Another right. Um, it, it's the fine <laughs> details that, that I think gets passed on. You know, it's it's the real, the real boots on the ground stuff, the stuff that um, – you know, you can look at and go, okay, there's something there, but it's not thrown out there as uh, you know, some huge propaganda thing. You know, it, that's the thing that gets passed, I believe, and that's unfortunate. And, and you know, I'd love for science to be involved more, um, but you know, you know, a lot of people go, oh, you know, does science even matter? I mean, of course it matters, but do they? You know, they don't pay attention, and how do you get them to pay attention? I mean, do you guys have any thoughts on how? Uh, you know, will they ever pay attention? Will 
you know, true science and academia really pay attention to this subject. I mean, as far as Bigfoot's involved, I mean, there's a whole other realm of stuff, but maybe it's you yeah, know, we hope it's all so. But... Yeah. Mm-hmm. It sure is. So we hope so. We're watching and we're paying attention, but uh, the basic thing that we need to do is we just need to keep doing what we're doing and not worry so much about what everyone else is doing. Uh, be aware of the, the quiet ones in the community that aren't saying much, and they're just out there quietly doing the work that they do, and uh, be careful of those. It's the ones that are making the noise that are really not contributing quite so much. They just like the publicity and and uh, just watch the quiet ones. Yes. Sorry, sorry, Tom. Go ahead. Uh, those, those that's making the most noise usually have the less substance to their findings. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. We find it very often. So. Well, in this day and age, you know, uh, you got internet and just all these other avenues to exploit yourself or share stuff, and uh, sure. you know, it, it's for a lot of people. They may start out on the right foot, but they start getting a little bit of. Uh, a little bit of attention, and then they, they they feel like they have to provide something every week or every day, and it gets to be mm-hmm. so overwhelming. Uh, you know, you, you, you know, you jump on Facebook or any other uh, social media site, and it's just this stuff's out there everywhere. Uh, you know, it's yeah. just bam, bam, bam. You know, here's this watch, here's this, here's that. And before you know it, you know, for those, you know, I always feel bad for those coming into the subject. Uh, they're they don't they don't know who to look at or who's actually going about the right way or the wrong way. And exactly. You know. They get turned off, and I think science is quite the same way. There's so many people out there promoting; it's hard to really grasp. You know, they need you know, science needs substance, and most rational people need substance. They need something concrete, and not a border picture, not a circle around a shadow, uh, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, not a possible impression. Um, that's unfortunate. But with the crypto crew, you know, uh, you guys. I mean, Thomas, you've been doing research for a lot of years. And you guys, Doreen, you're a fantastic writer. You compiled a Thank lot you. of reports and data. Um, you know, how do people, I mean, do you guys have a lot of people contact you and, and provide this stuff, or do you guys have to look for this stuff? Uh, well, we we have quite a few people that do contact us. and uh, More all the we time. Do have to, <laughs> well, yeah, but we do have to uh, make, make efforts to reach out because, uh, you mm-hmm. know, people are still reluctant to talk about things they've seen. So we do have to do some reaching out, but uh, we do get contacted a lot through email and then through Facebook and things like that. And uh, people actually out in the community, if they know you're kind of interested some of the, in that type of subject. I mean, I guess, you know, how you guys get contacted daily or periodically. And uh, what, are, what I would also ask you, what are some of the – are Bigfoot reports or sightings at the top of – those that are contacting you, is that what they're reporting, or are they contacting you with more paranormal stuff? Uh, what's the what's the ratio there? Uh, the majority of the contact I get is uh, Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I probably get, on average, I'll probably get three to five a week through email, not counting the ones on Facebook. It's hard to keep up with those. <laughs> right. But, but, yeah. but sometimes <laughs> it's just a real short mention. Well, I saw something... Back when I was a kid, or that that about that's as far as they'll go with it. They really won't open up about it. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the same for you, Doreen? I mean, you you get you know uh, 
a lot of contacts? Not or, quite or, as uh, many as what Tom's, but uh, I think more what I get is a lot of people who want to talk about what they've seen and they want to talk to somebody that they trust. Mm-hmm. And somehow I've become that person. Uh, I've heard some pretty creepy stories right before I go to bed at night. And, you know, I'm not supposed to tell anybody about them because they're almost too crazy to tell anyone. But I get a lot of that. I think people really need a means to be able to reach out and tell someone what's happened to them, what they've seen or heard. And there are still precious few of us that are really trustworthy in that sense. There must be very few of us because... You know, we are kind of in the minority here. We um, People are really looking for somebody they can trust, and they do look on Facebook a lot of the time, and I know they do follow me for quite a while, and then all of a sudden one day I'll get a strange message from someone saying, I don't know how to tell you this, or you're not going to believe this, or I think you're someone I can trust, I need to tell you this story. And mm-hmm. of course, that's as far as it goes a lot of the time, but... Uh, right. Those people do find out that there are people that they can confide in in the community, and I, I hope that gets better. I hope we can do better with that, and uh, people can tell their stories more. Yeah, that's really fantastic. It really is because, you know, I mean, I'm sure occasionally you'll get those people that sneak in as just somebody trying to pull one over right. on you. Or when I mean, it's going to happen. Uh, I sure. know it's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. you're also an open ear for those that don't know they they want to share something something extraordinary happens to them or something unknown to them happens to them they just want an open ear so i won't call you yeah. a psychiatrist i'll call you uh, a, a welcoming arm and an open ear to listen to what they have to share and that's truly uh awesome because science as a whole really doesn't have that um set aside they don't have those that will um, that have the credentials, I guess you could say, to uh, mm-hmm. have an open ear to listen to some of these extraordinary stories uh, and encounters. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, right. you know, it takes a lot of citizen scientists or enthusiasts to have an open ear that have experience with, with a lot of these stories and encounters. Um, it's a special thing, and it's one of the things I love about the Crypto Crew because you guys pretty much are open to a lot of things as far as, you know, listening to people. And that's, that's special, and, and you guys catalog and and do some fantastic blogs on this subject matter. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for that. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, but, I mean, really, it is important, you know. I mean, it's hard to, I mean, after all these years of doing this stuff, do you guys, either one of you, get a feel for somebody that's being honest or somebody that's kind of just taking you for a ride? Uh, usually um, it's pretty obvious. I, yeah, I yeah. think we do. I mean, yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's You can't really define it, but, right. yeah, you kind of get a sense, a sixth sense of sorts, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, and I think you have to start out with a, a pretty keen instinct anyway to, to do this kind of stuff. So that, too. Yeah, yeah. I, I, over the years, doing a lot of uh, over-the-phone and in-person interviews, I think I've developed mm-hmm. a little bit of a strategy in my head and a little bit of discernment as to, you know, I can I always give that percentage where I could be wrong, uh, but yeah. um, you've done this for a while. You know, any profession it takes practice, and you you kind of get into the into a fold where 
you, you get a little bit of a feeling if somebody's trying to pull one over on you or if they're truly honest. And you could be wrong, of course, but it's, uh, sure. it, you know, I, I think the crypto are really good. But there are a lot of variables good. to consider mm-hmm. and whenever you're talking to anyone, you know, and you have these variables in your head as you're discussing it. And, yeah, well, I mean, we do the best we can. Yeah, what, is, what are some of those variables? I mean, w- when you get someone that calls you or you interview someone the same person, uh, I mean, how how do you, do you go about doing that interview or uh, or getting listening to somebody? Are you just quiet the whole time, or do you, you know, how do you do an interview? Well, how do you how do you do it where you are, Tom? I mean, you're in a small town and everything, so a lot mm-hmm. of these people that you you know personally. Uh, well, some of them I do know. I, right. Mm-hmm. And, and no, you and have some of, sense of the reputation. and. Well, yeah. correct. Now, like like my neighbor over here, uh, I know him well enough to know that he's not going to fabricate a story. And when mm-hmm. he's seen a Bigfoot across the road right down here below my house, uh, when I interviewed him, I know that he is, I'm not trying to be mean toward him, but he's a kind of a simple type person. Uh, you could tell him uh, you need an MP3. He wouldn't know what an MP3 was. He has no idea. He mm-hmm. don't use computer. He don't have cell phone. They don't have long distance on their telephone. I mean, they're just kind of simple people. So if you're interviewing somebody like that, you kind of it's kind of different than interviewing somebody who is uh, more up to speed on on things. Mm-hmm. So yeah. in those instances, you have to kind of ask the right question to get the information out. Some people say, "Well, you're you're leading him into the answers." Well, if you, if you don't give him some something to go by, you won't get an answer. Mm-hmm. It's just they're that they're, they're that type of people. But there's red flags when people tell stories. There's always red flags if you know if they're being dishonest that that you sh- that you can pick up on. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's just from experience and doing it. Right. So, and we wouldn't want to give away all of them. <laughs> But, you know, each interview is different, and depending on their story, you have to uh, adjust on the fly and ask the appropriate questions. And that just yeah. takes time and dealing with people. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it, it takes a lot of time and a lot of practice. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it you know it, at times, you know, some people can be very compelling with their stories and, uh, mm-hmm. and show you things that you think, and, you know, you're looking at it, oh, that's interesting. You know, you know, and they seem very honest. And a lot of times they are very honest. They're just wrong. You know, you go look at something, go, well, okay. <laughs> and I've done yeah. this time and time again where, you know, you know, being involved with, with Sasquatch subjects, I can look at something and go, well, that's, that's, that's a bear or that's this or that. And, you know, and, and a lot of times they're open to that. A lot of times they get a little bit offended and go, no, no, I'm not stupid. This is not a bear. But, you know, it, <laughs> it, it can be a difficult thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, um, so a lot of times, that's the people who are are, are supposedly researchers. They, they yeah. get offended quick. I mean, they'll show you a picture of a shadow, and if you say, "Well, I think it might be a shadow," they get mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they do. They get mad. Yeah, they can get really <laughs> angry at you. You know, um, and and that's what I love about researchers or enthusiasts that that I think really take this up serious and really want answers is that. They're not so keen to call anything Bigfoot with you know um unless it's an absolute, which right now there's not, and so they, they you know they're willing to collaborate and share stuff and you know have people look at their evidence or supposed evidence or what they think may be something interesting that's the stuff that 
and that I really look at and enjoy, um, it's those that come at you going, okay, here's my here's here's a bigfoot, here's a bigfoot impression, mm-hmm. here's a, a a sasquatch nest, a sasquatch tree break. I mean, did you see it? Right. Do it. No, you know you got to have you know. It's it's a it's a fine line to walk with some of these people, and that's unfortunate. But uh, as investigators or researchers, um, if you're really true to the subject, um, like you guys are, I mean, very open um, but discerning, is that you look at all the evidence and you don't make any, you know, definitive um, uh, uh, suggestions or anything based on you know in conclusions. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's Tom very said a million times, you know, that, uh, well, if this is a fake, it's a really good one. You know, I mean, he hasn't mm-hmm. said that a million times. No. He doesn't say, well, I think this is a Bigfoot. He says, well, if this is a fake, it's an awfully good one. I think this might be the real thing, in my opinion. So, and, that, you yeah. know, how many times have you said that, Tom? Maybe three or four times out of, <laughs> out of 100, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Um, well, uh, you know, we well, reject well, in, quite a bit of stuff. In today's world, yeah. you know, uh, everybody's looking for uh, things on the cheap, so they buy the cheapest Bigfoot costume they can find, and you <laughs> see it over and over. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then, and, and then once they post it or it's out there, it gets. Uh, it's funny. You'll you'll see that, and you're all oh, fake, whatever, and you know, people share it, and you're like, oh, it's fake. And then two years down the road. Someone will post it in a group or online going, oh, look what this is. And you're like, oh, man, it's back again. (laughs) And there's always a group of people that believe it. (laughs) Well, people find stuff because because it's on the Internet. It gets found again like like it was new and somebody takes it and reposts it. And you're dealing (laughs) with the same, something that's already been It's new to somebody, yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So that's what we deal with a lot of the time too. So uh, it's a hard job. I want to I want to say that it's it's not an well, easy job sifting through all this it's stuff. A, it's and, a hard job without getting paid. <laughs> right, exactly. The money yeah. is awful. Don't go into it for the money. <laughs> no, I'm only about what ten twenty thousand dollars in the hole for the last few years. I hear you. I hear you. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we always need equipment. So. Yeah. <laughs> what, but what, what are um, what are some of the more so? We're kind of talking about some of the the you know the lesser things of 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 these interviews and things they report to you. What are some of the more positive things? What are some of the more interesting things you guys have? Um, come across or been sent to you uh, that you found really compelling that you guys have covered uh, with the Crypto Crew. Uh, you know, I'd like to keep it more Bigfoot related. Um, I'm not opposed to cryptid related. But what are some of the really compelling or really interesting stories you guys have come across? Well, for oh me... <laughs> yeah, I know that's a broad question. I understand. <laughs> well, for me, I guess it would be the interview I conducted with the guy who was out hunting, or actually he was scouting, and there was a Bigfoot. Well, he didn't know it was a Bigfoot at first. There was something in the bush in front of him. And it stands up, and it's a Bigfoot. But there's another one off to his left, if I remember correctly. And he actually shot it. And he got the game wardens involved, and 
had visits from uh, gov- un- unnamed government entities who told mm-hmm. him not to talk about it. It's a, the interview itself is like an hour long, and wow. I, I thought it was real compelling. The guy's he becomes emotional during the interview. I mean, I thought it was. I think he, something really happened. Wow! I think he was uh, being dishonest. So, so how did did this guy did this guy this guy contact you, or I mean, how did that work out? And then he just relayed his story on to you. I mean. Uh, how did that work out? Well, actually, believe it or not, he called me. He had, hmm. He's not that far away from me, as in hmm. if I want to, you know, drive down. No, I don't want to. He has a business, and it could be affected by because it's small, you know, small area, small community. Mm-hmm. And he actually just called me, and uh, I didn't know who, I didn't know nothing what was going on. He said, he, "I, I want to tell you about something." That it happened to me, so I've not told anybody for so many years because they told me not to tell about it. So the only person I told was my wife. And uh, then he he goes into the whole story, and I'm just I'm sitting there like, wow. And that even the uh, mm-hmm. if I ain't mistaken, even the uh, the game warden and stuff took up snow that had blood in it and oh, put wow. it in a plastic. In a plastic bag. So, it's, so as a hunter, I mean, uh, he. Why did he shoot this thing? Was it out of fear, or yeah, out I mean, of fear? He relate out of fear. Yeah, I mean, most yeah, hunters the, uh, that I know. Yeah. The, one, the how he told me the he he was real close to the one in the in the uh, laurel thicket, mm-hmm. and at first he thought it was a bear, but when he looked off to the left, one was in a tree, and as the one stood up in the thicket, the one on the left grunted, and he just threw the the rifle up and shot. And he said he seen it hit it in the chest. You know how when you shoot a rifle, you can see yeah. the dust fly off when it hits the target. You know on the animal. Mm-hmm. And he got on his four wheel and got out of there. It's I've got, actually got it on my YouTube channel. Yeah, want me to post a link to, that. to it. And I also, uh, you know, I, I, I made a DVD of it, and I sell it on Amazon as well if somebody wants to do that. Uh, it's, it's a great story, and I, I, I believe the guy. And mm-hmm. I talked to him a few times after that. And after we did our interview about, if I, don't, if I remember correctly, it was about two weeks later, he got a phone call, and they told him they knew about it, uh-huh. and that it was and that they would be repercussions. And since then, I've not heard anything from the guy. That's um, really interesting. You know, one of the one of the things that goes around and around in in this uh, in the not just the Bigfoot world, but the cryptid world, paranormal world, is the involvement of the governments. And I've never, well, I told I I've experienced a little bit of something possibly, but. Uh, do you do you, so you mean you really believe this guy? I mean, why would if he had shot something and was just sharing a story and he has no proof basically? I mean, the game warden obviously you said maybe he saw some blood in the snow. Why would the government worry about someone sharing a story? I mean, uh, and how many stories have you or, or encounters have you heard of where the government's kind of stepped in or there's been some sort of involvement with 
people telling them this hush? I mean, you guys get that frequently, or? Uh, actually, I don't get it very often. But now, another part of that story that as the yeah, guy's sorry. getting on his four, as, as the guy's getting on his four wheeler, the bigger creature that was in the laurel thicket picks up the one that he shot and takes it over a, a, a cliff that's straight up. And that, wow. that, I mean, to me, it was just. It was just amazing to hear the guy. I mean, I thought he was going to cry on me telling the story. Right. That's how emotional we got. And uh, but we what don't get that very background? often. Sorry, sorry, yeah. What was the guy's uh, what was the guy's background? I mean, was he uh, how you know roughly age wise, and was he a lifelong hunter? I mean, had to experience something after so many years. You know, as a researcher, you know, I've taken a lot of reports for guys, but I've been hunting for thirty, you know, twenty five, thirty years, four years. And never kind of nothing, and bam, they had something happen that just blows their mind. Was this kind of like one of those sort of stories, or? Well, yeah, this guy here was actually he's actually a deer hunter, and if mm-hmm. I was guessing, I would say he was probably probably in his forties, right around forty. And what had happened? A friend of his had caught a game cam picture of a deer that had an unusual rack. It had one of the tines hanging down like next to its eyeball. Gotcha, yeah. And he said, well, I've got that same deer on mine, on my game cam. And so uh, there's nothing but a cliff there. And he said, well, there must be a cut in the cliff somewhere where that deer's coming through. So that's why he was up there looking for the cut in the cliff. And he just so happened to run on this. So it's it's just a, it's gotcha. a great story. No, it sounds, sounds uh, very interesting. You know, I mean... I mean, for the guy to interview somebody that gets really emotional and where you can actually feel it, you know, that's that's one of those things that you have to be a complete psycho and really good at faking stuff or mm-hmm. honest all get out. You know, that when emotion comes into play and it affects you, you know, and it almost affects you whether it's a, a interview you're doing in person as an interviewee or over the phone. You know, that's a that's a read that uh, you can pick up on, and, and that, to me, you know, it makes it more compelling. And, uh, you know, especially for those hunters and, and outdoorsmen and people hiking around that experience something that, you know, after you know, so many years, they've never had anything happen, and bam, it happens like that, it kind of blows their mind, and they're not sure if they want to hunt again or go out in the woods again. Yeah, these guys were never afraid of anything until that one day that... Mm-hmm. They saw something pretty scary, and I wonder sometimes yeah. if there's a little element of post-traumatic stress there, you know, when they're telling the story, because uh, it does get emotional. Right. You know, and that's that's a fantastic point, Green. Is is the you know what you call PST or what post-traumatic stress syndrome? You know, you know, it happens a lot with our military, and you know, my brother, um, God bless his soul. I mean, he's he's alive and well, but. He, he uh, served in Afghanistan and in Iraq. You know, he's a Marine, and he's got it. I mean, he does, he, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it's unfortunate. But I've interviewed people, like what we're talking about now, where uh, it's it, it's that complete shock that, you know, when you're out in the woods and you're, you've are you been hunting your whole life, you've been out, you know, you started young or whatever, and you've been hunting out there with your dad and your grandpa and whoever or on your own, never come across anything. You know, you feel safe. You know, you, you, know, you look out for bear, you know, sometimes the cougars and you know, and other hunters, obviously, but when you get that encounter where you see something and it just, you're like, it, it, it's a it's a shock. It's a shock. Mm-hmm. And it blows your mind. Yep. 
and you don't forget it. And then you think about all the time you've been out in the woods where this thing has probably been out there or maybe been out there. Or you think about mm-hmm. what could have happened while you were out there and you made it out. Right. Um, yeah. it, it's it's well, truly amazing. It's uh, like the event happened when I was 15-year-old hunting with my dad. We didn't think anything about shooting. You know, well, it, we didn't actually see it, but, I mean, we, it was something big and it was scaring our dogs. But we didn't think nothing about trying to shoot or find out what it was. We were just interested in just getting out of there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you hear yeah. that a lot where people didn't, you know, they didn't have an inclination to shoot. I was holding a camera and didn't have any inclination to take a picture, you know. Right. So it well, messes yeah. with it, your it, head in a little sense. It does. It, you know, for a lot of people, you know, when they go, like, well, why didn't you shoot it? Well, you don't know where you're shooting at, you know. And, and two, you don't know if what you're shooting at, what, how, what the effect will be. You don't know. I and mean, you're frozen there. You're frozen, yeah. You're, you're frozen in time right there, and it doesn't occur to you at all. No, and that's one of the, the things that irks me when I, I hear people say, oh, that can't be true. Uh, you know, I'm a hunter. I would have shot it and killed it. But right, yeah. you're not in the moment. <laughs> yeah, you're, first of all, you're on the moment, too. You don't, you know, if you're a good hunter and an honest hunter, you're not going to shoot at something unless you know exactly what you're shooting at. You know, you're just mm-hmm. not. You're going to scope it out, and you're going to look around and, you know, and uh, the shock value. I mean, the shock value alone. Yeah, uh, you know, for most hunters, I think their instinct would be, let's get out of here. <laughs> let's not hang around. Yeah. I don't know what I'm looking at. You know, I don't feel sure After was, the right. initial shock. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, I, yeah, no, I'm not like my dad. No, like mm-hmm. my dad. He's he never did really believe in Bigfoot or anything like that. But in 2013, one crossed the road in front of him. He waited like four or five days to even tell me. Wow. And I think that happens a lot with other people. They see something, and I think they take a few days to process, Yeah. you know, what they saw. Definitely. Yeah. And whether they want to talk yeah. about it or not. Yeah. And how many stories yeah. get lost because they're afraid to talk about it or they don't feel they have anyone to talk with talk about it to. So. Yeah. yeah. No, very true. You know, it a lot of stories never get told, I believe, truly never get told. A lot of stories get told years and years later. And mm-hmm. uh, those are the, some of the most compelling stories, you know, they're like, oh, I want the, the newest and freshest story out there. I want the, you know, what's going on here, what's going on there. But a lot of times I think some of the, the, the best stories and encounters and whatnot happen, you know, are told later on. You know, I mean, someone right now, if you have an encounter, you may not hear about it until years later because, they don't know what they saw. They don't want to talk about it and sound like a crazy person, and they don't know how to who to reach out to. You know, it's it's right. kind of like the uh, the Finding Big Show. It's it's a plus and it's a negative in a lot of ways. You know, and that's my feeling. Mm-hmm. Is it, it's it's done a lot of good. It's done a lot of negative stuff. You know, because a lot of people look at the show as a joke, but a lot of people are like, well, you got some a lot of people you know reporting encounters now and talking about it. You know, at least they're talking about it. You know, whether it's a joke right. or not, they're talking about it. So. You know, it's just a it's a catch twenty two. Um, uh, just hope we're improving the atmosphere for that. I mean, you know, little yeah. by little, making it easier for people to say something. Right. Well, you well know, I like, Tom, you I like that. getting the uh, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I like getting the older encounters as well, because uh, if I can plot them in a certain area, that gives me a, a you know kind of a database, a history of sightings in a certain particular area. So it gives me mm-hmm. an idea of maybe where to look and who else might have seen something. 
Yeah, Thomas, is there a certain area? I mean, I mean, you, with the crypto crew, do you have a do you guys have a certain focus on an area, or do you guys cover? I mean, obviously, you get reports from all over the place and and talk to a multitude of people. But is there a certain area you guys kind of focusing on with the crypto crew? Uh, how does that work out? Well, we've got people in like eleven different states, and we've had good research efforts in in, in all of those basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mostly concentrate here in my area, Kentucky. Uh, and then you know we got people. Well, we got some in or in Oregon, so you know we got that's a good, mm-hmm. good area. And, and so, so we just kind of spread out. And, yeah, New Hampshire yeah. and mm-hmm. Colorado. So, me in Florida, but yeah. Well, you know, Kentucky actually uh, has some phenomenal, uh, in my opinion, um, researchers and has phenomenal habitat but why why do you think uh kentucky may be a hot spot or an area where sasquatch could reside in or travel through i don't know your opinions on 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 you know uh, migration um or you know habituation can you talk a little bit about you know the state of kentucky in regards to reports um can you um talk about um between both of you guys uh, a little bit about your thoughts on habituation and and why Sasquatch would be in Kentucky or traveling through Kentucky, depending on your your idea, of, you know what Sasquatch does and is. Well, here in Kentucky we have an abundance of deer and water. Uh, so and, and the, there you go, and we got other you know as far as plant life and trees and things, as far as nuts. I mean, the habitat is real good for them. Uh, our winters are normally pretty mild, uh, and our activity in like coal mining and stripping and logging is probably at all time lows over the last probably ten years. So I think the less activity we have in in those industries makes it more suitable for Bigfoot to come into an area because there's you know there's just less mo- uh, motion going on. There's mm-hmm. And as far as migration, I, I don't think we have much migration around here in this area of Kentucky because our winters are not they're not uh, rough enough to warrant moving out. Plus, we you know we have our old coal mines for them to stay in. We have some, uh, quite a few natural caves in this area. It's just it's just Kentucky a good environment. Kentucky is a perfect environment. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds it sounds much like Oregon here. I mean, I mean, really, our winters are not that bad. We get snow and you know we get constant rain, but our, our you know I'm not a I'm, personally I'm not a big fan of migration, and and I think people get really tied up with the word migration. They think thousands of miles and you know or hundreds of miles. I you know for me migration is elevation to elevation. Personally, I think a lot mm-hmm. of things will go from. One ele- elevation, a higher elevation during a certain time of the year to lower elevation. Basically like what your elk and deer and your bear, everything else, every other naturally known animal does. Uh, that's what I would call migration here with Sasquatch-related stuff, is that you can travel from a high to a low, you know, depending on your food sources. Right. Now, we do have elk here as well and black bear. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it can sustain, sorry, it does, you know, can sustain larger animals mm-hmm. and, uh, and but, I, i'm like you if they do migrate it's just 
up to the next level, uh, maybe farther away from, just a little bit farther away from people. Because mm-hmm. I know one area that I research, uh, there's some traffic close to that area, and then in the wintertime, all the leaves come down. Well, it's it's kind of a, a little bit exposed. So if they use the word migrate, if they migrate back they're just a little bit deeper, they're, you know, the more right. well hid. Yeah, yeah, that makes the most sense to me. I mean, even given a lot of the reports of the years uh, with with sightings in both Washington and, and Oregon, and even Northern California, mainly a West Coast guy, though I do pay attention to other states, especially you know, East Coast and the Southern states. Um, uh, but up here in the West Coast area, uh, Pacific Northwest, you know, I don't. I'm not a huge proponent of like these long migrations. I, I'm not. I think. Uh, we don't have truly horrible winters, uh, truly horrible summers. If you just drop down, you know, a couple thousand, you know, a couple hundred feet at times, a couple thousand feet at times with elevation, you're right into the substrate. You're right into where you need to be to survive, uh, whether you're a meat eater or a plant eater, a herbivore or omnivore or whatnot. Um, yeah, you can survive very easily just dropping down <laughs> in feet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, most of most of my um, reports reflect that. Uh, most of the people I've interviewed over the years, and most of the you know uh, the sites out there that have evidence uh, um, encounters and reports, kind of reflect that data uh, overall. Um, have you yeah. guys with the Crooked Crew? Um, I mean, do you guys have any opinions as to what Sasquatch? I mean, personally, and I'm talking personally. I know you guys have a lot of members. You know. Eight, 11 or so, but do you guys have any opinion as to what Sasquatch may be um, and how they do their thing? I mean, where they go, how they live, or are you guys really open to a lot of, uh, you just don't know? You can go ahead on that, Doreen, if you want to. No. <laughs> well, That's a I, really, I, I, really I, I, big I, question. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I do know, I do know that uh, they do have family type units because just uh maybe two summers ago i took a report from somebody i know that's actually family that was uh ginsaining and he saw a mother and a younger child mm-hmm. together and they what, what i found odd about the that report was that the mother and the child was a different color and i thought that was kind of neat Mm-hmm. And as far as what they yeah. are, it's uh, uh, I don't I do not think they're Gynopithecus blacky. I, I think right. they can be threw away. Yeah. I don't think so either. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after that, you're kind of up in yeah. the air. Yeah, <laughs> maybe what they are. <laughs> but yeah. the stories I mean, that we hear often are that they look very human. And mm-hmm. that kind of sits in my head. And then there are other stories that say they looked more ape-like, and I think it varies right. from region to region. But I think we're talking about a very, very smart ape of some sort, and I mean in the human class, somewhere between the human class and the ape class, maybe closer to mm-hmm. human, maybe they're smarter than we are. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. We don't know. We don't want to say. <laughs> well, no. We're still I, I, waiting know, I, for that. 
that's an honest answer because, I mean, say, oh, yeah, I know what they are. To me, when I hear that, I go, ugh, I cringe because, well, how do you know? I mean, I've had a sighting. I had a sighting back in 2011, and I still don't know what the heck they are. Uh, (laughs) I just know what I saw, you know. Right. But subsequently, you know, over the years, I've encountered stuff, and I've not formulated a heavy opinion, not formulated ideas as to what they are or what they may possibly be. Um, but it's not it's not an absolute. My mind is always open to many possibilities, and uh, as I'm sure you guys are in the same boat. Um, right. Uh, I mean, period. We have just, to be. We just don't know. Yeah, you have to be. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that they're primate. Um, maybe there's something really unique um, that just happened to be primate-like at times. Or I mean, or you know, whatnot. Yeah. We just don't know. But well, based on the well, humans uh, have those traits sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know. uh, big hard question. <laughs> no, it's a, it's it's probably the most difficult question that is posed to anybody that's involved with the subject matter. I mean, it's what do you think it is? I mean, that's a difficult one. You know, we can speculate no all day about that. Oh, yeah. Well, we can speculate all day. Well, there's some common I mean, things that we should be able to agree on, agree upon is that they are very intelligent. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they managed to stay hid. Yeah, I would say super time. intelligent. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, Having hidden from us for so long. Yeah. I've had the pleasure of being around them a few times, and uh, mm-hmm. it's just amazing how they can. They're so quiet. Uh, I've, heard, I've seen. Yeah. I've been around them at times when I've seen them make noise, and I've been around them at times when I I know they was there. But there was no noise associated with them walking. Yeah, it's just right. I mean, it's kind of yeah, weird. We really like the, the whole story. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it's one of the key things that people don't really talk about is the agreements with people. You know, everybody loves to slam people for their disagreements. But I agree. I, I personally feel that um, they they are very intelligent. I I mean, that's to me is almost has to be a given. Um, mm-hmm. If not, they would have been discovered. I mean, truly discovered by now. Uh, right. You know, but I can never take away some of the experiences and recordings that I've taken um, and had over the years. You know, um, that I, you know, I assume or or at least uh, leave open that it may be possibly in Sasquatch related. You know, I've had chest slaps uh, at two o'clock in the morning or twelve thirty at night. Um, that sound very, mm-hmm. you know, when you look at it on the spectrograph, these chest flaps, or what I assume are chest flaps, you know, I, I try mm-hmm. to look at every avenue as what it could be, wing flapping, a dog shaking, it's fur. I looked at everything. Right. And the closest thing I could find is a gorilla doing a chest flap. Mm-hmm. I mean, a male, exactly. you know, silver. So there's, for me personally, there's a lot of very similar non-human primate things that claim with the Sasquatch phenomena. Um, both in behavior with throwing rocks and beating stuff, and but at the same time, you know, very uh, different because uh, what people report is how they look and how they act. Um, it's it's truly it's one of the things I love. It's such a unique phenomenon uh, that there's po- this possibility, and for me, not a possibility. It's out there, but for for science as a whole to discover is that. We have something so unique out there in these woods, in these forests, in these, these areas that, you know, um, are not traveled that 
science hasn't discovered yet that it's just uh, phenomenal. And, you know, I, I truly feel, and I'm, I'm blessed, trust me, I, I love it, that I work with certain people. I feel like um, a bit of an Indiana Jones sometimes out there trying to discover something um, that uh, uh, maybe never, maybe in my lifetime never will be discovered, but the pursuit, you know, the pursuit of it is just so awesome and fun. And, yeah, I mean, do you guys feel the same way, or am I just uh, blowing steam here? Well, here's well, something not... to think about in that respect. Now, yeah. I've, I see people doing this all the time. They're trying to equate a Sasquatch. They're trying to find traits in it that resemble something they're familiar with. Mm-hmm. That's just what humans do. We're always looking for the familiar. Well, what if we're dealing with something totally different? What if they are so smart because they're unique Mm-hmm. On the planet, is there any reason why they can't be unique, or if they can't have unique skills, abilities? I mean, and I yeah, I love that. No, I mean, well can, do we need to go a totally different direction and just kind of let our imaginations go a little crazy for a while in order to figure some new things out? I mean, that's what I'm always trying to put forth. No, that, that's fantastic. You know, a lot of times, you know, we or a lot of times, I would say the vast majority of times, we think we know what we're looking for, you know? I mean, we're out right. in the woods or we're out in the forest, and we think we know what we're looking for, and we're trying to be very scientific about it, very absolute about it. But, I mean, really, with, with looking for something or, or dealing with something the unknown, what are you looking for? I mean, you have no idea, truly. You really have no idea. Maybe it's like I mean, nothing we know. Exactly, uh, maybe and I always assume that totally different. Uh, and I always leave that option open. I mean, not an option. That's basically when I go in the woods. I go, I, I just you know kind of I try to. You know, I'm human, so uh, you know I got the little Bigfoot thing on my brain, and I'm thinking, oh, this is what I need to be looking for. But quite, quite wrongly, um, I think is that when you're going out, going out there and trying to discover something or 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 do your thing, you need to kind of wipe that whole thing clean and go, okay, right. I don't know what I'm looking for. Let me all just bets are off. The woods at, all bets are off. Let's just, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, you know, um, the only thing I, I would say to that is that for a lot of people, and myself included, you know, I have had a sighting and there were things included um, that happened during that sighting. And so I do try to uh, envelop those things into my research a little bit without saying, you know, it could be just one extraordinary moment and that's not their everyday life or what they do in as a whole, I just don't know. Right. I'm very. I, I'm not an expert. There's no experts in this field. It's just going. Okay. Well, this happened. Uh, let me not forget about it and, and develop that into my research. And, and mm-hmm. if it works out, cool. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I'm very open. But that's a you know yeah. great point, Dwayne. I mean, great point is that a lot of people try to put everything in the box as to what we know. And, uh, and we're to, humans. We do that automatically. Our brain, our brain is programmed that way to look for the familiar in everything we see. Well, what if that's the wrong thing? To do? What if we need to retrain our brains in order to be more open to different possibilities? I mean, that's just me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm not opposed to that idea. You know, I, I try to to. Um, ground myself and, and stay within reason, um, very open to a lot of things. If, if substantiated by um, 
really hardcore evidence. facts or, or yeah. evidence. Yeah, evidence. perfect. Evidence. Yeah. Evidence. I mean, that's what it boils down to, right, Tom? I mean, that's what it boils down to is evidence. You know, I could tell you a fantastic story, and you'd be like, whoa, that's awesome. That's really intriguing. And then you guess what? Hang up the phone and uh, file that one away. It doesn't mean anything. How how important is evidence? I mean, really, it's it's important, right? Uh, well, oh, yeah. yes, uh, uh, evidence is important. Uh, getting people to accept the evidence is a totally different story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there seems to be different perceptions of uh, evidence. Um, so I don't know. How do you call it evidence if it if you know, 50% of the people don't accept it at all, and the others think it's, you know, real solid truth. And, I mean, what are you supposed to well, do about for, that? Well, for example, uh, you take, like, tree breaks. Mm-hmm. A lot of people won't, won't, won't accept tree breaks as evidence. They say, well, you didn't see the Bigfoot break it. But I have right. found tree breaks with large foot tracks in the middle of the forest right up under it. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, it's pretty easy to put the two together and say, well, this is what's broke this. It wasn't a gray squirrel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we had, uh, we had, you know, there, you know, I'm involved with the limb project as well as Gunnar Monson, uh, you know, my, my, my co-host here on the show. And uh, Derek Randalls had uh, been given some evidence and has seen the evidence of, of these tree breaks around possible, um, ground nesting sites and uh quite extraordinary really but everything was broken and snapped off um since we're on the topic and uh you know i've come across in my field research certain breaks that were unexplainable now obviously i didn't see a sasquatch do it uh very rare i mean actually i don't think i've ever come across a tree break where i've seen that an impression on the ground <laughs> to be honest with you but there are a ton of reports in 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 photos out there where someone's, you know, come across a tree break or a branch snap uh, with an impression below it. Um, you know, I'm on board with that it's a possibility. I've never seen a Sasquatch do it, but I never close out it. You know, I never never rule out the, the thought that it's a possibility, uh, especially with some of the evidence I've seen or possible evidence I've seen over the years. It makes a lot of sense to me because, I mean, uh, um, you know, even non-human primates, uh, you know, uh, gorillas and whatnot, do that sort of stuff. Um, we sure. as humans do that sort of stuff. You know. Yeah, we used to do it a lot when we was coon hunting. If we had to separate, and we would break a branch, point in a certain direction, say, "Well, I'll be, you know, move this way." We've done it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we yeah. didn't do them yeah. ten foot tall. You know, ten foot up on a tree, neither. <laughs> didn't break off full grown trees. No. <laughs> So. Yeah, yeah. Well, some of these breaks, you know, even uh, some of the breaks that I've come across, and I mean, I'm not talking about snowfall or anything else. I mean, in an area where I, you know, I've, you know, even in an area, um, I've come across some extraordinary breaks, very fresh and uh, um, with disturbance on the ground. They're not an impression, I would say, but disturbance uh, that are just phenomenal. Um, that leave me the question, like, what the frick did this, you know? It doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. And I got a lot of reports right. like that. But, I, you know, it it's one of those things where you just, you, you file it away, and you take notes, and you take pictures and all that, and you file away. Then, they, though, what do you do with it? You know, well, no, you file it, 
you guys have gotten a ton of reports, I'm sure, uh, similar, where people are coming across this stuff. Some of it can be explained. Some of it can't. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, right. down the road here, uh, Thomas and Drain, I mean, I know you guys have taken a lot of reports. In, but do you, do you want Sasquatch? I mean, we're on the subject of Sasquatch. But, I mean, do you want Sasquatch to be discovered? Or do you want it to be, remain a mystery? I mean, personally, I'd love for it to be discovered. Uh, I think it needs to be just, uh, proven, at least. Uh, I think it's been discovered. I think it needs to be proven. Yeah, it's kind of kind of a little bit of a touchy subject because, on one hand, I would like to prove that they're real, but on the other hand, I want them to be left alone. But then on another yeah. hand... I'm thinking they can take care of themselves. They've been doing it all this time. They really don't need to worry about us. But I don't know. What if there's some secret formula that we figure out for finding them and Mm. we don't leave them alone? I mean, I have mixed feelings about this. I've thought about it a lot, and I have very mixed feelings about it. Uh, They're very smart. I think they can take care of themselves, but humans have a way of messing up the environment for other living things, and that would be my biggest concern, I suppose. So, I don't know. Well, for me, uh, I always like to ask this question. Who are we proving it to? Right. Uh, You know, I I think uh, the higher up in government, I think that actually the government knows about them. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we feel pretty who, strongly about that. Who are yeah. we proving it to? Are we proving it to people who's closed-minded and wouldn't consider it anyways? I think that's so the case I, with a lot of researchers. They get tired of skeptics, and they just want to prove they're real once and for all. And Just because they're sick of being ridiculed, and there's a lot of that, yeah. I think, too. I got over that a long time ago. But let me ask you yeah. this. You know, and I, I've been ridiculed. Um, both with uh, my friends and my family. Um, doesn't matter. They're out there. But let me <laughs> ask you this. Why, why uh, would the government's involvement or, or knowledge of these subjects matter? I mean, uh, you know, if the government knows or the military, whatever, higher powers know about this, what does it matter? Uh, that's you know, that's a huge question in my mind when I talk to people when they say that the military or the government knows about this. Do they care or they don't care, or is there altering motives? I mean, what's going on? Well, that's that's a good question. See, we really that's something we really don't know. Uh, yeah. Would it, would it be hurtful for the logging industry? Probably so. Mm-hmm. Would it be hurtful for recreation, uh, you know, camping and hiking and things like that? Probably so. But, yeah. you know. Why does our government do anything that it does? We, you know, <laughs> is a mystery. Well, okay. Yeah. What what does our government know about them? Do they know a lot of things that don't know? Is there some profound truth that we are not being let in on that they already know that they that makes them believe that this really needs to be kept secret and hidden from the public? I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of questions. So. No, it's a lot. You know, I have the same questions. <laughs> I really do. Um, yeah. I'm not there yet with with. Um, I would I, personally, I would find it hard to believe that the some foreign government didn't know that these things were out there. I mean, that's just me personally. I mean, yeah. with the amount of 
operations they do and their surveillance. And all that. It would be really hard for you to believe they don't. Maybe they don't. And maybe uh, people are just, you know, managing stuff. And, uh, and that's a possibility. Um, you know, um, a few years back, I did experience a little bit of some weirdness myself. But um, I couldn't claim it was military involved because I wasn't harmed or contacted. I just happened to see something that was really odd. Um, but mm-hmm. so out, you know, I mean, do you think, do you, do you guys believe that possibly Sasquatch needs to be protected? Um, I'm very open to this. Uh, you know, we talk about how, well, they're doing fine on their own. And for those you know, that believe in Sasquatch to be real, 100%, you know, I know we got listeners going, well, you haven't proven them exist. Well, obviously. But for those that have seen Sasquatch and know them to exist or at least believe them exist, it makes sense to me that um, with the expansion of human population, with forest fires and everything else going on, that they would need eventually, if not now, some sort of uh, protection. I mean, it only stands to reason. I look at Borneo and some of these other, you know, uh, uh, countries around the world and whatnot that are, have these huge, vast forest fires. I'm a huge fan of orangutans. I love orangutans. One of my famous mm-hmm. favorite primates. And what they're going, you know, the force on fire, they're being poached, uh, and a lot more horrible things going on there. They need protection. Yeah. Uh, and they're known. They're known. Um, a lot of animals out there um, and species that are going to think daily that are not known that we will never know. And so yeah. I always got to refer back to Sasquatch, which I know exists. I don't know what they are, but I got to wonder, do they need protection? I mean, people go, oh, no, they're doing fine on their own. Well, how do you know that? I mean, I can't say. Maybe they are. Maybe they're not. You know, it's, it's a tough question. Well, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well, we need to know more, for one thing. We need to know more about them, but they are definitely hiding better than orangutans are. So, mm-hmm. I mean, how do we decide it, what kind of help they need, if anything, if they need protection? Right. Um, they're they're doing it's very the, well right now on their own, as far as we know, but, I mean, we don't really know that much. Right. Um, it's almost a stupid question. I realize that because a lot of people are like, well, yeah. Yeah, well, it's a, it's hard to get a stupid answer together, too. I mean, um, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> it, would, it would probably be easier to pass some kind of law that protected uh, rare and uh, unknown species or something like that than be Pacific yeah. to, say, Sasquatch. But, That's you very know, well said, Mark. Yeah. But the thing is, uh, it's kind of like gun control. Uh, you're not going to stop the violence if somebody wants to kill one. They're going to. Uh, right. You know, we've we've had laws about killing uh, bald eagles and stuff for years, but yet we almost wiped them out. So yeah, you know. But it would be nice yeah. to have something out there. You know, just even to know it's in, there. Yeah, uh, even if it's just a, and you know, it's kind of hard and broad to do, but an unknown. <laughs> you know, sort of a, um, agreement to protect things that are... It's really hard to do. I mean, I don't know how you describe that. Unknown. It would be hard uh, to write know, it down. I mean, hard to put it yeah. into words. Yeah, he lives yeah. yeah. anything that was prior yeah. undiscovered. Yeah, undiscovered. You can't shoot... <laughs> yeah, you can't kill something that's undiscovered. So, like, unicorns? I mean, what do we include yeah. Yeah, when you don't very vague. <laughs> yeah, it's right, a tough so. subject matter. Yeah. I mean, it really is. You know, there's certain counties, you know, like Shimania up in Washington that 
you can't shoot a Sasquatch. But, uh, yeah. I mean, how could they really protect that wall? I mean, really. I mean, when it come, comes uh-huh. down to it. It's, uh, but if, but if someone bit, did, yeah. they would get in trouble for it, though. You know, No doubt. Yeah. <laughs> that would yeah. be the thing. Oh, that's the only comfort you have. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, hard, just, that's, a hard, that's a hard topic, I guess. Yeah, yeah. it's a very it's hard topic. Them. It was easier to kill them than um, we wouldn't be having the conversation about whether or not they exist. So I, I mean, right, I'm, right. I'm exactly. not really concerned about about them being necessarily threatened by uh, you know their existence being confirmed. But mm-hmm. and I, it's funny that people argue, well, we need to protect their environment. Well, we should. There's already yeah. known animals that we should be protecting the same environment for. So another yeah, right. another species in that environment. Uh, yeah, it, uh-huh. would it close down logging? I, I mean, that you, that's a whole another can of worms. Yeah. So. Yeah. We're, I mean, we're we're here in Oregon where we had the spotted owl thing, you know, not that long ago, where you know, the, right. and and it, and it passed with time. They found that the you know they well, were more. We had the uh, we had the Indiana bat here, and it, it, you had to stop logging for so long, you know, till they moved out of the area. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, protection only is involved if it's a known thing, you know, I mean, unfortunately. And, you know, uh, that's the way science works. Uh, with, with, in regards to some of the, I mean, where do you see, where do you see this, this subject matter going? I mean, with researchers, I mean, what is a researcher to you or enthusiast? And do you, is there an importance there or is it just like, you know, whatever, everybody's a researcher? Uh, what is the importance there? I mean, is there? I mean, I feel there is. Well, there is for me. I mean, it, just the personal knowledge gain is worth it for me. Yeah, definitely. And if I can share I with really, people, you know, well, you know, people. I don't are really like care magic. anymore if other people think it's real or not. I, you know, hey, it I don't be have nice that luxury. Everybody was on board. I don't have that luxury to say, well, I don't know if they're real or not. I know they are, so. Right, yeah. you know, I'm in the same boat, uh, Thomas. I'm in the same boat. I know they're real, and uh, but I do value other people's opinions on 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 their experiences and whatnot. And I do value, trust me, I do value skeptics' opinions. Um, I get right. many of my own family. They go, well, you know, who oh, sure you were, you know, you, what you saw, what you experienced. Well, yeah, I get it, um, and I yeah. value their opinions. At the same time. You know what you saw, you know what what you experienced, and and then you move on from there. You're in a different um, sort of uh, spectrum, and your research, you know, because trust me, before my sighting, I was a a researcher, you know, uh, or or enthusiast, whatever, investigator, whatever you want to call me. I was very much involved with the subject matter, but after after having confirmation, it moved my uh, opinion and, and anti up tons, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, does that matter to science or the general public? No. Um, do I care? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll be honest with you. I do care a little bit. I do. Because I do want this subject matter to move forward. I do want it to be proven. Um, am I trying to prove it to them? No. Um, I enjoy, you know, I work with, you know, Gunnar and I work with the Olympic Project. We're a part of the Tillman Group. We enjoy um, uh, the evidence that we collect, the possible evidence we collect and whatnot. But, uh, you know, 
with the crypto crew, uh, what are what are I mean, what are your ultimate goals with the crypto crew? Are you guys just collector collector of data? I mean, obviously, Thomas, like you said before, you don't really, you know, you're not out there to prove anything, and you know who are you proving it to? I get that, and I love it, and I agree. But with all with with all your endeavors and everything else, uh, everything you guys publish and put out there, I mean, what are your ultimate goals? I just, well, my, for my personal goal, I just want to keep uh, keep doing what I'm doing. Let keep gathering the data, the evidence, keep sharing it with other people, and 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 also getting other researchers' data. And it's like a big puzzle, and and we're just putting mm. we're putting little pieces together. And it's going to take some time. If you know if something major don't happen, it's going to take some time. Yeah, the yeah. key is patience, and don't don't get too worked up about it. Uh, just do your thing the way you feel you need to do it, and don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Just do the work the way you see fit, and everybody's got a different idea of how research should be done, and, you know, everybody criticizes the way everybody else does their research. You know, there's a lot of that, too, but just, you know, I say don't listen to the critics. Just do what you've been doing if you think it works for you and see what information you can collect and just keep doing it. And like Tom says, you know, just little pieces to the puzzle all the time. Just, you know, needle in a haystack, of course, but um, yeah, just keep picking at it. Drain, Drain, you know, we had a fascinating um, conversation. At least I found it fascinating and very intriguing. Yeah and informative uh, a few weeks back before this show. And yes. you were talking about, um, you know, some of, you know, I was asking you questions and like we're doing a show. And the some of my questions posed was, you know, how much should science be involved, whether opinions and ideas, what are they doing wrong or right? I really enjoyed that conversation. It really was uh, fascinating. And Good. Um, you're very, well, no, you're a very intelligent person and you have great um, ideas and just knowledge mm-hmm. on the subject matter, and so, you know, I got to ask you, you know, I love, I would love for science to be involved in the subject matter more so than it is now. We have individuals. We have Bernernagel, um, Mindzinski, you know, John Mindzinski, John Bernernagel. We have uh, Jeffrey Meldrum. We have certain mm-hmm. individuals involved in academia involved in the subject matter that. I'm very intrigued by it. Some of them, you know, like John Manziki, who had an encounter, um, something you cannot explain, uh, who's a wild, wildlife biologist. Um, you know, back in the 70s, he had this encounter, and he could not explain it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been involved ever, you know, ever since. Not proven anything. I mean, not proven Sasquatch <laughs> to be out there. <laughs> you know, right. unfortunately. Um, Benner Nagel, same boat. Uh, Mel- Meldrum. Um, the list goes on with with those right. with credentials uh, that science looked at. Um, you had some interesting insights, or at least ideas about this, uh, or you know thoughts. I should say thoughts is the best word to put out there. With, yes. In regards to science involved with this subject matter, um, what 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 are your your opinions on this? I mean. Uh, how important, you know, we, I brought this into the, the forefront of the show. How important is it for science to be involved with this? And, I mean, what are they missing out on 
uh, you know, or not missing out on. I mean, where are we at today? This seems to be a, a, a sort of thing where it keeps circulating where, okay, we're science, no science. We're science, we're no science. What are your thoughts on this? Well, okay, this is easy for me to get in trouble with scientists, but I usually say it anyway. Scientists are trained to think in a certain way. They're trained to follow mm. the evidence where it leads. Okay, that's fine. That's good. That's what we expect of them. That's what we need from them. But I think that your average researcher with no real serious scientific background has something to offer that's unique and very, very important to the research, and that is a different way of thinking. They're not tied down by their education. They, I always have a trouble saying this without without getting in trouble, like I said before, but I think <laughs> sometimes the people with less information in their head are sometimes better able to get down to the the raw facts of the matter. They're mm-hmm. not hindered by any any way of thinking. They can kind of twist their mind around what they're seeing and what they're finding and I think in a, in many ways they are better able to do really good research because they have no preconceived ideas about how it should be done they're out there actually looking at it. They're the mm-hmm. ones, they're like you say, the boots on the ground, hiking boots on the ground. They're the ones out there doing it, seeing what's really there, doing the actual grunt work mm-hmm. that it takes. And I think that they have a, a lot to offer that science I don't know that they don't yeah. acknowledge it, but science is not quite paying enough attention to it yet. And I think, yeah. you know, there have been a lot of researchers in other fields. You know, we talked about uh, uh, Jane Goodall and uh, – not Jane Goodall. Yeah, Jane, and, <sighs> and Diane Fossey. Yeah. Diane Fossey, thank you. I couldn't think of her name. Yeah. But, yeah, who were <laughs> not really scientists to start with. Yeah, but did some really good research. They were willing to do the work. I mean, the really serious work. You know, get down in the trenches and actually do it. And I think that is very important. I think that science is very important, also. But I think there is, you know, a lot of work to be done that's not going to be done by scientists down the road. I think it's going to be the average researchers that are just doing their thing in the best way they know how to do it. So does that right. make sense? Yeah, makes so. perfect sense. And and I uh, really, really have to agree with you um, with this subject matter. I think it goes with uh, all of this uh, cryptid-related stuff is that um, science is um, off to the side, unfortunately, I wish it was there, mm-hmm. right there, holding hands with me and everybody else. But they're off to the side, and uh, basically they're looking for a slab. I mean, they're looking for something dropped right in front of them and go, bam, 
There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Jane Goodall, a perfect example, and I use a lot of times on the show, you know, as as a citizen scientist, not somebody with inc- uh, credentials of any sort, other than right. her association with certain people, uh, went out to the wood, you know, the field, and discovered amazing things with chimpanzees. You know, they ate meat and they hunted and blah blah blah. And you look it up, right? You can figure it out. And amazing stuff um, that was eventually accepted, and she eventually mm-hmm. was, you know. Given credentials, I mean, she was an amazing woman, amazing woman with uh, yeah. drive and passion. And, yeah, and that's, that's the, the person we need to look at and remember and yes. Um, yes. use that as yeah. our example. And, you know, whenever we're feeling a little bit down about what we're doing and how we're not really accomplishing anything, just remember things like that and people like that and know that it does mean something. It just sometimes takes a little while. And uh, Let me ask you this. Would Jane Goodall, if she had, you know, back in the day, had Facebook at, you know, access and uh, had access to, you know, social media, would she be posting her uh, stuff everywhere? Or would she be nope. the type that in your – yeah. <laughs> no. What? I, you don't I think, don't think uh, so. Jane Goodall would be posting every day on Facebook? Nope. <laughs> Sorry. I don't think so. I think well, she would be listen. too busy. No, she'd That's be too it. busy doing what she does well. Right, doing yeah. research. I don't think she'd be yeah. out in the woods with a laptop. No, not even a smartphone. No. Honestly, no. I don't. Yeah. And, and, and you, uh, both you guys mentioned earlier, is pay attention to those that are quiet. Um, mm-hmm. that are not posting. I mean, truly, if you're involved in something that you feel that is extraordinary and you r- feel really confident about the subject matter and the research behind it, I mean, are you going to be posting um, updates and, and whatnot? No. You are loving where you're at. You're going, right. wow, this is amazing. Let me continue on with this. In fact, uh, social media will probably play no part in anything you do. I mean, that's the honest truth. Yep, correct. That is my right. opinion. Yeah, yeah. So and so, you know, I get a lot of I get a lot of flack, like, "Oh, you're always talking about Jane Goodall and and Diane Fossey and whatnot." But I love those women because of what they did. And yes, it's relevant. Do I, it's relevant, even if you think Sasquatch is not um, a primate or uh, primate related or non-human primate or whatever. It doesn't matter. The thing is, bottom line is, the research of the subject is not promoted. You just didn't see, I guarantee, like we were just talking about, Diane Fossey and, and, and whatnot, they're not going to be uh, posting uh, every five minutes or every uh, couple of days what their findings are or what their beliefs are. They're not. They're nope. so involved in, in what they're doing. They're like, wow, this is amazing. This is awesome. Let me soak this in. Let me document and let me repeat my documents. Let me repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. Not like, okay, this happened one time. This is factual. No, no, it's nothing about mm-hmm. factual. I mean, it's, everything is about factual, but it's not about, okay, it happened one time, so it must be a must. No, no. Those, right. those gals and whatnot were so involved with the factual stuff and enjoying their environment, 
you know, and I'm not saying, trust me, I'm not saying Sasquatch is a primate. Uh, my belief is that it's a, some sort of primate, but I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. But point yeah. is, that's your, that's the your evidence. theory. That's my theory, correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I did want to say here. one more thing about science, yeah. too. Go ahead. Yeah, please do. Spit it. I think that a lot of researchers really take a lot of stock in science and they really are worried about gaining the respect of the scientific community, and I think that's important. But I don't think that's... I don't think that's the big part of the big picture. I think mm-hmm. if you're doing good research, you're doing your thing the best way you can, you're doing a good job of it, you're being thorough and you're not a scientist, I think you're doing a service that's important and stop worrying so much about scientists and what they might think about it. Just do your thing, collect your information, keep doing it, keep doing a good job of it, and I think it's all going to come out in the end, like it has for so many other people, like you say, Diane Fossey. So mm-hmm. I think that people worry a lot that people making outrageous claims is going to undermine their trying to influence the scientific community about the existence of Sasquatch. And that may be true to a certain degree, but I think we just need right. to not worry about ridiculous claims that are being made and just do our research, do our thing, do a good job of it, and not so worry so much about science at this time. Just <laughs> do your thing. That's mm-hmm. That's all. I think that... That's what Diane Fossey did. So that's what you have to do. It's not – science plays an important role, and having them acknowledge it is important, but baby steps. We have to take mm-hmm. baby steps to get there. And I know people get impatient. Mm-hmm. You know, they want things to be done. They want – to know that what they're doing really, really matters, and they want to know it in their lifetime. Right. But am I making sense? Oh, you're making perfect yes. sense. And I, yeah, absolutely. And uh, well, I, I can boil it down even even a little more simpler for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. While while <laughs> science and knowledge is good, experience the experience nothing can replace the experience of being out there. Right. Science, science and knowledge is great, but I'll take the experience of actually seeing a Sasquatch over what yeah. some dude in a lab coat is going to tell me. You yeah. have to actually go outside to see them. You can't see them they're, from a They're wanting the computer. biscuit without making the bread. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think, yeah. They're wanting the reward without doing any cooking. Right. I think the scientific you know. process is more important than science itself. Is, is collecting exactly. the data and, and vetting the data, and because we can only control what we can control, and, right. and science at this point, for the vast majority of the world of science, is not interested in the the subject, and we can't, you know, you can lead lead them to water, but they're just going to allow. Correct. Now, there is so a few exactly. that like 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 Bender Nagel, and I really like him. Yeah. And I like Jeff Meldrum and. You know, there's some that's actually got a good, uh, honest interest, interest in it. You know, but there's some that wouldn't give it the time of day. Mm-hmm. A lot. But even though, <laughs> but even those gentlemen, if we, uh, you know, 
they probably heard all the anecdotal stories that they they ever need to hear, and and uh, are interested in seeing hard evidence. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, hard yeah, that's true. But you know, for uh, for a lot of times, it's uh, it takes the you, you got to actually see it for yourself. I know people who who are not scientists, just normal people, who would never believe in Bigfoot until they seen one. Right. It don't Absolutely. matter what you gave them. I'm only at ninety eight point five percent because I haven't had one. I, I haven't seen one, you know, and so I leave about a percent and a half there for that. Everybody is either misidentified, you know, every report is misidentified, every. And and uh, yeah, everybody's a liar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everybody is misidentified or, or fabricated their experience, and that huh. that just seems like such a you know unlikely uh, uh-huh. answer to to what everybody reports. A worldwide conspiracy. Yeah. Yes. Well, and I've heard so many people. I've talked to so many people t- sell, telling me similar stories. Um who are from different parts of the world, have no connection to each other, and they're telling me the same strange little stories, and they don't know each other. They have no reason to have any contact with each other. So, you know, we have to kind of look at that and think, huh, uh, maybe we need to pay more attention to this. So that's another thing, too. I mean, have you guys found similar... Yeah, similarities in some of these reports that you guys have, have been uh, part, you know, have been shared with you. I mean, are you guys building any patterns, or uh, even in Kentucky or you know, wherever? I mean, you guys build any patterns or anything that stands out to you with these reports? There's a lot of similarities in size, shape, color, uh, possible behavior, track sizes. I mean, there's a lot of things mm-hmm. that just. Just all falls right together. Sounds, rock throwing. I mean, you just go on and on of things. It's told repeatedly, well, all over the United yeah. States, Canada, just different areas. And even uh, Australian Yowies and completely different continents talking about similar behaviors. And so it's good to talk to people from all over the world and get their insights and just find out how similar they really are. Lots of differences varying, you know, by region, of course, but lots and lots of similarities too. So. And that's what makes it easier to to pick out the ones that are maybe dishonest or. Right. Or or maybe adding a little bit to the story. I mean, if it don't mm-hmm. kind of fit into things you've heard other people talk about, it's, you know. It seems out of sorts. Right. It helps that we've heard a lot of stories. Yeah, I would imagine with some of these stories that uh, there's been a lot of similarities. And then, of course, you get those rare occurrences or maybe non-rare occurrences where these these uh, stories are uh, really outlandish. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, what are you guys' thoughts on, you know, um, I'm sure you're very much aware of David Polides and his books, the the missing 411. I mean, mm-hmm. how much, um, how many reports have you guys taken in that sound familiar to some of these missing, uh, you know, people reports that David Polides, you know, has in his book? Um, 
do you guys buy into that, or I mean, or Sasquatch these perfect, um, you know, forest people and friends? Um, do you think they, they have a tendency to be uh, evil or not? I mean, wh- what's going on? Well, I think they're much like us. I mean, we have people that are Ill- ill-tempered and have bad temperament in our society. Uh, I'm sure they have. Mentally ill. Um, maybe so. I'm sure they have their, yeah. uh, I mean, I think they're capable of aggressive behavior. Uh, as far as, the uh, you know, the, the missing 411 books, uh, I think there's some stretching going on there about some of the cases. You know, if, you, if, you're, if you're saying that Bigfoot took them all, I think accidents or other predators are the most likely cause, which I know David don't say, come out and say Bigfoot in his books. Uh, but is it possible that Bigfoot could take a child? Eh, possible. Yeah. Yeah. It's possible. Yeah. No, I mean, everything's right. possible. I mean, nothing can be left off the table. Uh, I, you know, for me, you know, like I said, um, I think Thomas would agree with this. I mean, we know these things are out there. What they are, we don't know. But are they capable of doing certain things? Sure. Um, are humans, are, uh, you know, bears and cougars, everything's capable of doing something of uh, a malicious nature that we assume is malicious. <laughs> but right. I think it's ridiculous to think that Sasquatch or Bigfoot or this perfect entity, a perfect being that they, they don't cause any harm or any malicious, don't have any malicious intent. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I think they're capable of being stressed like any other creature, and any mm-hmm. any creature that's stressed uh, might do anything for survival yeah. or anything like that. So, I mean, yeah. it's something that we have to think about. I mean, yeah. yeah. Involved in this in this um, sort of uh, thought and, and, you know, with the criticism, well, yeah, it has to be in the back of your mind, or at least uh, as an opportunity, uh, something you think about. You can't roll it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just can't, uh, in my opinion. Uh, we can't throw out of, anything. We have to take it all in. Yeah. Well, well, a lot of we, times I'm out, in, I'm out in the woods by myself. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. I may be 15, 20 miles back in the woods by myself. And I've always told my family, if something happens to me and you can't find me, if you can find my cameras, get the SD cards. (laughs) Something to be on. Something to be on them. Yeah. So you never know whether it be a bear or or we do have cougars in this area now. So, so you never know what might happen. Right. You don't know if it could be another human that uh, took you out if you just fear or just something. uh, naturally happen, you fall off cliff. You just don't know. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You never know. That's right. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of possibilities out there, and uh, a lot of people fall fall into this category. And uh, the missing 411 books uh, are fascinating to me uh, for multiple reasons. Um, you know, a lot of them, I think, can be explained, and a lot of them can't be. Um, right. You know, uh, a lot of people ask me, you know, is Sasquatch people this? Well, I, truly, I don't know. I don't know what Sasquatch is capable of, um, but can I rule it out? No. So I always had that, that uh, you know, openness. You know, I know what cu- people are, uh, humans are capable of. I know what bears and cougars are capable of. Um, I know what people in general, uh, when out in the woods, are capable of. So um, Sasquatch, I, I don't, I don't 
not mind-boggling for me to assume that they are capable of doing something in the wrong. If you're in the wrong place, at the wrong time, sure, you know. But have I seen it? No. So I can't prove anything. Just it's just awesome ideas at the end of the day. Well, the one the yep. one story of the uh, of uh, Dennis Martin, I done hit from over in Smoky Mountains. Uh, I didn't mm-hmm. know at the time that uh, that really it, uh, David covered it in his book because I've never read his books. Just what I've seen people mm-hmm. say about it you know, on the internet things. But the Dennis Martin case, I thought, stood a good chance of being a Sasquatch because of mm-hmm. what was, you know, what people seen in the woods and things like that. But you know, you don't. In the end, you don't really know because they they never found, you know, never found. Them. Yeah. They found some remains. Years later, they found some remains, but that don't. That, a lot of times, that don't tell us much. Sometimes. Yeah. Well, let me ask you guys this, and I'll start with uh, Thomas here. What is the, you know, I would assume you consider yourself a bit of a researcher, or not just a bit, but, you know, a big-time researcher. I mean, you do a lot of research on the field, and and you collect a lot of counter-reports. What is the, um, say, you kind of recollected on when you were a kid, I think 15 years old, your experience. What is something else you've experienced out in the woods um, that may be really uh, intriguing or scary. Um, and then, Doreen, I'm going to ask you the same question, so be prepared. Okay. Well, there's so much to choose from. <laughs> I figured. <laughs> <laughs> I'll share a couple if you feel like it. Probably the 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 most unusual thing that I had happen was I was investigating actually the sighting that my dad had uh and it was only a minute it had been about i don't know seven or eight days maybe 10 after the actual sighting i found a trackway it uh, had like 30 plus tracks in it multiple breaks but i set up some game cameras in there and i heard what i can only describe as speech but it was just far enough out of my earshot that I couldn't make out any words, which I probably couldn't even if it had been close. I probably couldn't have. Mm-hmm. And there was nobody there other than me, and I'm assuming that it was the Bigfoot. And it just sounded like speech. And, and we've heard that other probably, stories That's probably the weirdest that. thing. Mm-hmm. I've heard other you, people make the same claims. Re- and did you record that? Those, Actually, I didn't, I didn't record. I didn't get to record that. I record my reaction after because I was in the process of installing a game camera, and ah. this thing was about no more than thirty yards from me, and it was in an uh, uh, area where there was quite a few uh, laurels and some pine trees, and of course I couldn't see it. When I first heard it, I thought, I thought, well, somebody's coming. I thought, well, really, I thought it was my mom or dad coming because my dad, you know, well, really, I thought it was my dad because he knew where I was at. But uh, it wasn't him because when I got home, they was gone, and there was nobody else around. And it was just a weird thing, and uh, and it took uh, it took a lot of effort to go ahead and put up the rest of my game cameras. <laughs> <laughs> I 
that's probably mm-hmm. the weirdest thing I've had happen. But I, as far as breaks and and tracks and things like that, I found uh, bunches of those. Yeah, yeah. Not not going to uh, blow us out of the water with those. But what about you, Doreen? I mean, what, I mean, does anything stand out to you uh, with some of the um, reports you've taken or encounters you've had? Possible encounters. Well, yeah, a couple of years ago, a couple summers ago, I was mm-hmm. out in an area that I had decided might be a good place to do some research. But I was kind of out there a little bit here and a little bit there trying to decide if it was really worth my time. And I went out there very early one morning. This was maybe 5.30 before it was daylight. And I decided which trail I was going to go down. It was a canyon trail where I would have to go. There were actually some steps that would take me down to the area I wanted to go. It steps down into the canyon. And there were kind of steep steps. But anyway, I stepped out of my truck, and it's so quiet. I mean, there's not a sound. The sun is just starting to come up a little bit, and there's not a sound of anything. I'm not a bird. Nothing. And I thought that was kind of odd, but I got out and I decided to go down the trail I'd planned on. And I was just stepping on the trail, and all of a sudden I heard deer circling around up and down the hill. And they were going in circles, going in circles. And I couldn't figure out what they were running from. But it got quiet for a minute. And I started walking down the trail thinking, well, everything's fine. Although I knew kind of in the back of my mind that everything was a little weird. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm walking down the trail, um, and I get to the edge where these old wooden steps are and to go into the canyon. And I start down the steps, and all of a sudden I hear this crashing noise, like tree against tree. It was a loud wood knock, like heavy wood against heavy wood. But anyway, all of a sudden, the deer started running around on the hills again. And I stopped, and I decided that I had vertigo, and I was not going to go down the steps. I thought, this is a very bad idea. I've never had vertigo in my life, but... That's what happened to me when I stepped down on that step, like I had done many times before. And I decided this was a bad idea. But here I am. I could hear these deer running around in circles in the woods, and these are thick woods. And I'm wondering, what the heck's going on? So I step back up to the top step, and I look around. And all of a sudden, it's quiet again. And I'm looking around, and the energy in the air was just very weird to me. So I'm looking and I'm looking to see if I can see anything. And I am thinking about Sasquatch at the time. I'm looking around to see if I can actually see something, but I can't. All of a sudden, a stick whizzes past one side of my head, just barely missing me. I mean, I could hear the whistle in my ear. And, okay, I'm thinking, huh, that was interesting. You know, could have dropped off a tree, anything. Anyway, so I I stood there looking and still couldn't see anything. All of a sudden, another stick whizzes past the other side of my head. And by then, even though I don't see anything, I'm thinking, you know what, I think I need to leave. I'm just getting this weird feeling that I just need to go. 
So I headed back up the trail. And as I'm heading back up the trail, I heard this crashing noise again, wood against wood. And then all of a sudden, these deer are running around. I can hear them. I can't really see them. I can see movement, but I can't see them. And I'm thinking, I really need to get out of here now. And as I'm walking up the trail, I heard a noise to my right. I turned to my right, and I put my hands, both of my hands out in front of me. And one fawn's nose hit each one of my hands. I mean, they were Mm -hmm. running like the wind, and they both ran. One of them ran into each hand. They were twins. They weren't very big. They were spotted still. And as soon as they hit mine, they looked at me, and one ran up the hill, the other ran down the hill, but neither one of them ran back to the place they came from. And they didn't waste any time going. And that's when I thought, i got to get out of here. And I went Mm -hmm. back to the truck. I sat there for a few minutes, and I finally started up, and I just drove home. And on my way, I'm like, oh, my gosh. I wonder what just happened to me. And the more I thought about it and the more I thought about it, I think I interrupted a hunt. And uh, it was probably best that I left. But uh, And I can't prove it, can't prove a thing. Right. But the whole the circumstances were very, very odd. And a lot of deer in that area, a lot of water, places to hide. It was just a perfect spot for them to be. Right. And uh, you talk about migration. They could migrate to a different place to do their hunts, you know, every day or however often they do it. And then they they had perfect access to a very remote area just a mile or so down the river that they could have hidden very well. Right. And, uh, anyway, I think something happened to me, and uh, that was my big moment. I never did see a thing except deer. And the deer were acting very, very, very strangely. Yeah. Um, They could have been running from something else, but something else does not throw things at me. And, you know, something could have fallen off the trees, but the chances of them, you know, whizzing past my head, one on one side and one on the other, was a little far-fetched. The timing sounds... The timing I had to suspect. think, yeah. yeah, something yeah. happened. Something happened. You know, the timing sounds suspect and the amount of reports out there, and I'm sure you've taken similar reports of, of a similar nature, mm. uh, kind of uh, stand out in your head. You're like, oh, this is, you know, I mean. The vertigo just... was interesting, too. Mm-hmm. Like, why mm-hmm. in the world did I have vertigo before I even stepped down on the step? I never have that problem. Right. And all of a sudden, I'm kind of feeling dizzy and kind of out of sorts for a minute. Mm-hmm. So I had to stop and, you know, get my bearings, and that's when all this happened. So yeah, that was my weird yeah. moment. Take it for what it's worth. <laughs> well, <I'm> very honest <laughs> about it, and... uh you know, it could have been a multitude of anything, to be honest with you. And you, right. you know, you're not claiming it to be Sasquatch-related, but very intriguing, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I personally have never experienced the vertigo thing. I've, it, I, what I've experienced out in the woods, uh, as many hunters will claim, is that you cross a point where you're, you're, uh, 
you just feel like, ooh, I shouldn't go here. Or I shouldn't, I mean, not even just hunters, but campers or hikers. Mm-hmm. You cross a point where they're, oh, I don't feel comfortable here, or, or I shouldn't pass, or something's going on, and I'm going to turn around. Mm-hmm. Weird feeling. Have I experienced that? Yes, a weird mm-hmm. feeling. I've experienced that. Is it all in your head? I've had that happen. Perhaps. I've had that happen yeah. several times as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. But usually I keep on going just to see what it is. <laughs> <laughs> he's a true researcher. Yeah, he's a, well, that or just crazy or not that. Oh, I was a female alone in the woods, so I left. Uh, well, mean, I know I got clean mean. underwear at home. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I have experienced that, and I think uh, a lot of people have. It's not unique to, to anything I do. It's just right. And, and perhaps you're wrong at times, but there. I mean, you don't even have to be in the woods or whatnot. You just be in a certain, you know, I've experienced this at uh, in the shopping mall. We're like, oh, what, what the hell's up? <laughs> you just get that feeling. You're like, damn it, I don't know what is what's going on here, but something's up. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. my wife. I mean, people in general get this sixth feeling or the sixth sense, and they they just mm-hmm. like, uh, you know. Did you say um, in a shopping well, mall? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you've had that feeling in the shopping mall. <laughs> Yeah, well, maybe. I think oh. it's just me. I hate shopping in general. So I, as soon as I walk into a shopping mall, I get that sense. It just happens right off the bat. Turn I understand, around Christmas in the shopping mall, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, it happens. Uh, it's, I, I, I don't even have to leave the house, and I get it. I'm like, let's go to the mall. Oh, bam, it hits me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know what, guys? I gotta ask you. Love the crypto crew. Where do you see uh, this field going? Where do you see the the with specifically the the, the Sasquatch Bigfoot field? Where do you see it going? Is, are we making progress? Are we falling behind? Um, and then ask you guys this because you guys are involved with it daily, and you experience it daily, and you're you know. Two researchers uh, and historians and the whole nine. But are we making any progress? Or are we? It's just yes. uh, going nowhere. What's up? We are making progress. Good. However, slow. Slow, slow but sure. Slow, catch up, slow. slow. <laughs> yeah. But yes, we are. I don't think people should get discouraged because you know we haven't had mm. these major breakthroughs. Um, just keep doing what you're doing, like I always said. Um, I think that we are getting somewhere. More people believe. I mean, I can talk to more people on the street about the subject, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, that's really cool. That's what you do? That's amazing. Yeah. You know, they either think you're nuts or they think you're really cool. And kids, kids especially, are, you know, little lumps of clay. They they want to <laughs> believe it. They eat the stuff up. So the next generation is going to be a lot better for us, I think. So I, I think part of that can be yeah can be attributed to to shows like Finding Bigfoot. I think Finding Bigfoot, sure. well, it, you know, it it is what it is. It's it's entertainment, but right. It is, and we'd have to look at it that way. <laughs> right. It's just, yeah, and you got. It's funny that people get upset about it because it's like, well, that's not, you know, but it it's a great yeah. show to introduction to Bigfoot and and for kids to watch and you know, if you know people that right. are on the show or it it's fun to watch your friends on TV, but 
the yeah. if you talk if you know any of the you know if you talk to any of the the cast of Finding Bigfoot, they they admit you know they this, that's not bigfooting per se. They don't go out in the woods. That's not how they actually go out and research. You know, right? Uh, both both Cliff and Bobo are active field researchers. I, you know, I don't right. know a lot. I think that that Matt Moneymaker actually was out in the field other than on the show. And Renee's yeah. uh, the token skeptic, but it's it's great for introducing kids and and I think opening up the the uh, the subject to to a broader audience and allowing some people that have had experiences to come forward because you know hey there's a show on TV about it so I can go talk to somebody about it. I, think I know that I've had that. I think mm-hmm. that's the biggest point. I think that's the biggest point that it's helped people come forward and tell what they saw. Right. I mean, they yeah. they see these, you know, they see the town halls on TV and that, hey, other people are talking about it. Nobody wants to be right. the first one to go, you know. So, yeah, it's cool. So. Yep. It opens the door. Yep. And and we are making progress, slowly but surely. So. Yep, catch it slow. But we are. So nobody should get discouraged about what they're doing. Just keep doing it. Sometimes it feels like, getting you know, good people. Yeah, and sometimes it feels like one step forward and two steps back. But <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> very try true. To to good people. Uh, try to be around good researchers and people that you can trust. Uh, right. Stay away from and those that are, you know, just getting trying to get attention. You don't want to be around those folks. We try to keep it real. We kind of we do agree on this that we. We are not going to get wrapped up in the hype. We're not going to make up stories. We're not going to buy into stories that are so fantastic just because we need hits on the website or, you know, likes on Facebook. We're just not going to do that. We don't. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just kidding. No, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that we're we're doing it the way. We're keeping it real the way we want to. I mean, we're. What am I trying to say, Tom? <laughs> yeah, but that's no. I mean, we're not going to sell out. We're not going to sell out for a few views. Right. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. We're just. We're right. just going to do our thing. And... Oh yeah. Well, we are. We are getting close to the the end of our time together here. Um, okay. I want to thank. Thank Thomas and Doreen for coming on the show today, and uh, the Crypto Crew. You can you can check out their website at www.thecryptocrew.com, and uh, they also have a a YouTube channel. Is that correct, Thomas? Yeah, all all the links are on the website uh, to the uh, YouTube channels and to our other social media sites. So I'd like again. I'd like to thank you guys for coming on, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you again soon in the future. Um, join us next week. We've got uh, Thomas Steenberg on, uh, legendary Bigfooter from uh, up north, A, and uh, we're excited to to have him join us next week. And for all of our 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 friends and and listeners out there. Uh, we appreciate your support. You can find us on Facebook at uh, just look up uh, Monster X Radio and uh, give us a like. So uh, until next weekend, we Sunday at 
7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. This is Gunnar Monson and Shane Corson and Monster X team uh, thanking you for, for joining us this weekend. We will talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you.